Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That's what Jesus says in the sixth chapter of the gospel according to John in the 47th verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That's what Jesus has been saying. It's not the first time he said this. He says it, he says it in, in essence again and again and again. You must believe and you must believe in him, in Jesus, to have eternal life. And if you do believe in him, believe means trust or depend. If you depend upon him for your sacrifice, for your atonement, for your forgiveness, for your resurrection, if you believe in him, you trust in him, you have eternal life. My question to open things up today is, what right does Jesus have to say this? Lots of people have claimed lots of things. Lots of religious leaders have made grand claims and that won't stop until Jesus comes back again. Many people have many opinions about God and eternal life and how to gain it. And what gives Jesus the right? Based upon what authority can Jesus say, whoever believes in me has eternal life? Well, I think there are lots of ways we can answer the question. But one significant way that Jesus answers the question, and he does it again and again and again, is by saying things like this. John 6.46 Not that anyone has seen the Father except He who is from God. He has seen the Father. Or back to chapter 1, verse 18, which is essentially saying the same thing. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So in chapter 1, He says it. In chapter 6, He says it. It keeps coming back to this reality. And it makes it kind of an unfair fight. Jesus can say these things because Jesus and Jesus alone has come from heaven, from His Father's side. And so everything there is to know about God, He knows. And He came here and He spoke about these things. And so He has the right and the authority, and He is right, by the way, to say eternal life comes... By believing in me. He's the sent son who would be the sacrifice. Now, I think this is kind of straightforward, uh, especially to us who are Christians, who study the Bible. We've been studying the gospel according to John. But Jesus really makes a big deal out of this. And I think we sometimes forget just what a great argument it is. And he really pushes this argument with those around him during his day. I think it's worth pushing the argument today. The reason we know these things and we have confidence is because the Son came here and explained God and His ways to us. Well, in chapter 6, Jesus continues to push this. 
to push it positively for those who are going to believe in him and to push it negatively to those who are rejecting him. But it really is this slam dunk argument. It's the argument of all arguments. He's had the experience, right? And he's come to make that known to us. And so today what we're going to do is we're looking at what's called the bread of life discourse where Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. What you need for not temporal life, what you need for eternal life is you need me. You need to believe in me. That's the key. It's the only way. But he'll keep coming back to the fact that he he can say such outrageous things to these people because of where he's come from. The setting is Capernaum. Capernaum, he's still in the Galilee region. Uh, This would be on the west side, but to the north. I'll say more about that in just a little while when our text gets to that. They're in a synagogue there in Capernaum, and he starts with this simple but very important declaration. If you'd look at verse 48 with me, you'll, you'll, you'll see it. Jesus says in verse 48, I am the bread of life. For me as a Christian, I hear that and I think, that's good. I like that. Because I understand the bigger picture. If you're a Christian, you're like, that's good. We say Jesus is the bread of life. But to really feel its significance maybe even better would be to, to realize and remember, recall what's been happening. He doesn't say this in isolation. It's great in isolation, but it's even better when we think about what's been happening. He's fed the 5,000, not just to show he's supernatural, though he's certainly supernatural. He's fed the 5,000 plus the women and children. He's fed the masses. All of that's part of the setup so he can say, I am the bread of life. They were all excited to get fed to meet temporal needs. And then what happens? Then he starts talking about the manna in the wilderness that these Jewish people's ancestors enjoyed that God provided. So feeds the 5,000, bread, wonderful, life-giving. And then he talks about the manna in the wilderness, wonderful, bread from God, temporal life-giving. And then he starts talking about himself being the bread, the spiritual bread that must be taken in. He must be believed is what he's getting at, and he tells us that. He must be received. He must be believed not to have temporal life like they just had on the lakeside, not to have temporal life like they did in the wilderness, but to have eternal life. Those things, Jesus is connecting the dots, if you will. Those things have been intended to point to something greater, to point to the greater need. And Jesus then really starts pushing this, this word picture. He pushes the metaphor. He's, he's not going to let up to the point where he's offending just about everybody there. But he's, he's making one main major point in order to have eternal life. And he knows, because he comes from God, you must have him. There's no other way. And so he really is, is going to emphasize that. I don't have a great sermon outline. I don't have any sermon outline. How about that? And I promise I did my work. Because he, he, just, he just goes. And he doesn't let up. Almost to the point where you go, oh, okay, all right already. 
But see, the point is to make the point and to make the point again and to make the point again and to make the point again until hopefully in a good way, not all these people are going to do it in a good way. We say, I give, uncle, I got it. I can't fault you for lack of clarity. It's really going to push this. So let's go ahead and, and, and experience this, this uncle moment, I hope. Um, I give moment, I hope. Verse 49 says, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. That would be the heritage they're so proud of, this Jewish audience. And they died. Now, let's just take it nakedly for a moment. No, you're not supposed to say that in church, but you get the idea. So, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. And we're used to saying, reading that and we move on. But let's just leave it there for a second. That, that's not good and that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to eat and live. But they ate and they died. Now we could say, well, you know, it's because it wasn't spiritual food, it was temporal food and all that. But still, I think in light of what he's about ready to say, I think it is meant to be a little bit shocking. Let me just remind you, oh yeah, they, they experienced God and blessing from God, but they ate. But it didn't end well for them. They ate and they died. And that's not good. Death is not good. Notice the contrast in verse 50. This, referring to himself, they ate and they died. This, talking about himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Contrast. It was good what they experienced, but it didn't meet their greatest need. Because you could visit their, semi, their, their graves now. I've come as a greater kind of bread, a spiritual bread, and I've come so that you won't die meeting your greatest need, your, your, your eternal need. It's wonderful to connect to the past and connect to this believing heritage, but you need to possess eternal life, and that comes by believing in Jesus. Verse 51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Notice he's going to keep emphasizing this. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now we already know, based upon verse 47, what he means by eating. Okay, Eating, eternal life. He's already made it clear, believing eternal life. So we already know what he means by the metaphor, by the word picture, when he's now going to say, eat eternal life, drink eternal life. We already know if we're past kindergarten and we're reading the context, eat eternal life, he's already explained, believe eternal life. He means you must believe in me, you must trust in me. And now he's using the metaphor of eating because he's already fed the 5,000 and he's been talking about the man in the wilderness. And so he's really going to continue pushing this. Then it says also in verse 51, and the bread that I will give, how about that? It's voluntary. He's going to give himself. He's going to do this. It's not forced upon him. I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Makes me think of John 1.14. The word became flesh. He's going to give himself. He's going to give his body, his person. He's doing it because he loves. He's not constrained. It's voluntary and he's going to do it for the life of the world. He's going to do it not only for these Jews. 
He's going to do it for Jews and Gentile, all different kinds of people, I think, is what he means time and time again. And that might rub you the wrong way, especially if you're a Jew then living under Gentile occupation. I've come to give life to everyone who would believe in me, Jew and Gentile. And this isn't something new in the New Testament. This, is, this goes, I mean, this could go back to Genesis, as a matter of fact, the blessing to all the nations. It's always supposed to have been like this. But Israel forgets time and time again. Even in the Messianic uh, text of Isaiah 49, verse 6, listen to these words. This is, you know, Isaiah, Messiah passages. Uh, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. It's like our world in our text. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And when you're all fired up with your nationalism and tied to your, your religion, you, you don't like it that Jesus is talking about being Savior of the world. Okay, verse 52 says, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're, they're frustrated. They're, they're talking. How, how could he do this? And, and I want to say to you, and if you've been reading John much, you go, here we go again. In chapter 2, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. How could this possibly be? It took all of these years. And they're using their wooden literalism. He's talking about himself. Okay? In chapter 3, you must be born again. How in the world could, a, could someone who's born go back into their mother's womb? That's impossible. Wooden literalism, not paying attention to the intention of the one who's speaking. Chapter 4, woman at the well. Give me this water so I don't have to keep coming down to this dumb well. He's talking about himself. A wooden literalism that's not paying attention to the intent of the one who's speaking. And now we have it again. He's already been talking about belief. And then he uses the metaphor. And what is with this guy talking about eating his flesh? It makes me even wonder, are they really, do they really mean it? They probably do, but it does make me wonder. Kind of like when you get in an argument with someone and it, and it turns into this kind of emotionalism and the response is, well, you're just saying this. And they know you're not saying that. It's the, to the point of ridiculous. But they don't really have a good comeback and so they just use this emotional kind of mocking response. I don't know. Either way, you say, are you kidding me? More about, more, more about that in a little while, I think. In response, we might think Jesus is going to say, well, well, you guys just don't understand what I'm saying. Right? Let, let, me, let me just tell you about the benefits. He doesn't. Let's go. He repeats himself and he adds a condition. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. So it was the positive, do this for eternal life. But if you don't, there's, you, have, you have no life. These are people who profess to be believers who have life. And he's making the point, unless you believe in me, using that intense metaphor, you eat my flesh and drink my blood even now, he says, you have no life. We might miss it on first read. Verse 53 has got a lot going on. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. You probably tire from me referencing Daniel chapter 7, but that's the Son of Man text. Where the Son of Man is with the Ancient of Days. He's with the Father, and He's sent by the Father to be the eternal King. This really is pointing us back to unless you embrace me, the Son of Man, the one sent from heaven. Unless you embrace me as that one, you don't have this life. He's saying what he's been saying time and time again. I've come from heaven. The Son of Man comes from heaven to rule and reign forever. Do notice also that he says, uh, and drink his blood. I think commentators are right when they're saying now we're, we're, even though he's not developing the idea, he's going to shed his blood on the cross. And that's going to be an offense. He's going to give himself. He's going to be crucified. Unless you believe in me, the one who's going to do that, you have no life in you. At this point, he's putting such a fine point on it, you know? And, and many of us here today are, are not the antagonists. We're like, yeah, we know, it's awesome. And so the, the message gets kind of heavy. In fact, it gets so heavy that those who are more like us even start to kind of think, this is a little much. But again, he's emphasizing how important it is that you believe in the one who came from heaven. All kinds of people make all kinds of claims. But if God sent His unique Son to be the one that we find forgiveness in and through, you'd better believe in Him or you have no life. I was looking at a book in the last couple of weeks called The Sin of Certainty. A bad book. Very creative title. The Sin of Certainty. If it's a sin to be certain of something, I'm sinning right now. Because I'm certain that Jesus is certain, that he's making the point certainly clear that apart from believing in him, the one who came from heaven, you have no life in you and no hope. It's really clear. Maybe that's one reason why it keeps getting emphasized so we would understand, so that we would get it. It's not some like weird, obscure comment made in some obscure book of the Bible. It's John! 
different audience today, not just here, but in the world that, that I function in and you function in. But we still ask the same kinds of questions. Well, how could we know? Who is he to tell us? The unfair fight is he came from heaven. Yeah, but that's not a good argument. It's the argument Jesus keeps using. If anyone would know and be able to speak with authority and confidence and certainty, it's the one who came from the Father's side. It's him. Verse 54 says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, again, I think likely looking ahead to his death, has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. And we've already seen Jesus has talked about his own resurrection. So he's going to raise us up because he's going to be raised. He'll say more about this, but it's always tied to what he will do. How about verse 55? For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. I can't help but pause there for a moment and think about, you know, truth claims. Lots of people make lots of claims. People make truth claims. I think it's in the human heart to seek truth. Truth is good. When I was studying this, I was thinking of that John Lennon song, Give Me Some Truth. Give me some truth. I don't want politicians. I don't want lies. I don't want spin. Give me, give me some truth. I think John Lennon is right insofar as we want truth. We want honesty. We want authenticity. Even unbelievers, relatively speaking, want truth. And Jesus says, true food, true drink. Let me address that desire for truth and legitimacy. True food, true drink, because I came from heaven. I know things like no one else could know. Meeting that desire, satisfying that desire like no one else can. Sometimes Christians have said there's truth and there's true truth. We have ultimate truth here. It's, just as an aside, it's so interesting when to, to study Christian history like in America, other places too, where the church feels the pressure from those around them and they want to compromise things and they're afraid they're not going to be relevant anymore if they just keep emphasizing the gospel and Christ. And, and what ends up happening is, well, we have to get rid of supernatural things. And, and even though we don't believe Jesus actually can't, we don't believe in the virgin birth because you can't do that in a lab. Uh, and, and we don't believe that anymore, but we just want you to know that we're still relevant and we're still important. And Christianity is still good because these things are, are spiritually true, even though they're not actually true. And this is where people start saying, what time's the game? What, what in the world are we doing here? This is nonsense. 
one of the most important realities in all of Christianity, if not the most important, I hate to do that, right? But we don't have Christianity apart from the one who was with God in eternity past and forever coming here and talking and making this stuff known. If that's not true, we're a bunch of idiots. And Christianity isn't true. None of it's true. Time and time again, what we have is real time, real space, real Jesus, really talking, really communicating, really being certain and knowing things so that we can know things. It's wonderful, but I wouldn't give an inch on that. And Jesus doesn't either. I know these things. You must believe in me because I'm the legitimate one that came from heaven. Where are we? I think we're on verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh, notice it's broad, whoever feeds on my flesh, that fits the world category. It's not just for these guys. On my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me continues in me. He's going to develop that in chapter 15, but abides in me and I in him. I wrote in my margin, so believing unites us to Christ. Okay, there's, there's this inseparability that's wonderful. Verse 57 says, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, we know he means believes me, he also will live because of me. So we've got union there, union with Christ. Living Father sending the Son who is living. And if we believe in Him, then we are living. It's not complicated, but it's rather wonderful. United with Him eternal life, the living Father. These Jews would have believed that the Father, God the Father, is the giver of all life. And Jesus picks up on that because it's true. And that life-giving Father has a Son. He sends the Son. And whoever believes in Him is united to Him. And they will live too, ultimately in the end, through resurrection. It's wonderful. We've been seeing this throughout John, talking about his relationship with his father. And then he talks about the spirit as well. And he's going to talk about the spirit as well. Like the high point of all of it seems to be John 17. Redemption, it's part of the plan. I'm trying to struggle with whether or not this is a good time to talk about something totally unrelated. But I don't want to end the sermon talking about something totally unrelated. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate aside. You know what this passage so far has nothing to do with whatsoever? It has, so you say, why are you bringing it up? because I'm being culturally relevant. This has nothing to do whatsoever with the Roman Catholic Mass. 
nothing. We've already seen, based upon verse 47 and the greater context, if you believe you have eternal life. So when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood for eternal life, we know what he means. Okay? But this would be contrary to the official Roman Catholic teaching, and they're going to cite John chapter 6 for proof of transubstantiation. That when you go to Mass, that the wine turns into actual blood, Jesus' blood, and the bread turns into Jesus' actual body. And that it is a real sacrifice that is propitiatory. I'm using the official language, that it atones for your sins. It's all tied to this. That's why, and it's done every time. So thousands and thousands of thousands of times today, it's a real sacrifice with Jesus' blood and flesh. And it's no wonder you must go there and eat it and drink it. But I'll quote to you my friend, my Roman Catholic friend, Chris, reading this chapter, whole chapter together, unsolicited, sitting at, I don't know what restaurant, with my wife and his wife. And he said, well, he said, here's my takeaway of reading John chapter 6 this past week. And what Jesus clearly doesn't mean is it's actually his body and actually his blood. He clearly means it's faith because that's what the context tells us. I said, Chris, you are a terrible Catholic. <laughs> and I'm so glad. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be rude. In fact, I didn't even say anything, did I? I quoted my friend Chris. We can talk more about this. We won't, other than to say, if you read the whole thing in the context, verse 47 specifically, believe eternal life, eat flesh, drink blood, eternal life, the metaphor makes sense. We know what he's talking about. Oh, by the way, not to mention the fact, but that's when I mentioned the fact, strictly forbidden in the Old Testament to drink blood. Can't do it. Violation of Old Testament law. So we know Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, didn't invite his disciples to violate the Old Testament law that they were still under and that he was under. It would never happen in a million years. Jesus was an anti-law. Jesus didn't say, I came to abolish the law and let me really stick it to you by drinking blood. He said, I came to fulfill the law. Just for clarity's sake. See, an unfortunate aside, but because I love Roman Catholics as dear friends and want them to understand things, even at restaurants reading the gospel according to John together, I want to know these things. And I want you to know them as well. We can understand Jesus. We don't need a scholar. We don't need the magisterium. The point is the point is the point. Wooden literalism in chapter 2 gets you in trouble. Wooden literalism in chapter 3 gets you in trouble. Wooden literalism in chapter 4 gets you in trouble. Wooden literalism here in our chapter gets you in trouble. What does the author mean? We know what he means. We know what he means. 
let's now go back to the good part, okay? We think we've got it. We think we understand it. Verse 58 says that we don't get it. How about verse 58? This is the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus came from heaven, so he is the one. Notice what he goes on to say. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Again, we've got the whoever forever. And again, we say this is awesome. This is great for us as believers. This is fantastic. But notice that the response isn't so great. Verse 59, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And he doesn't, it doesn't mean who can understand as in we, we have no idea what he's talking about. Not, uh, not can't understand, can't take it. Ah, we don't like this. We don't want this. We don't want to hear this. They, they still love their heritage that proves they're believers. They still love the Passover. They still love remembering the manna given to our fathers and we're related to Moses. And so therefore we're in. The problem is, and this is a problem and it can be a problem for us, is they are clinging to the types and shadows as if they're the realities. All of this throughout biblical history has been aimed, it's been pointing towards someone. If you want to use the fancy terminology, there's been a trajectory. All of those pictures and all of those types, like Hebrews would have us to know, are meant to lead us to the substance which belongs to Christ. And we say, oh, yes, the true temple. Ah, the true bread. He's the one, the ultimate son. That's what's going on. And they say, who can tolerate this? We like being shadow huggers. And, and for those with eyes to see, we scratch our heads and go, that's, just, that's crazy. Isn't it interesting that they're in a synagogue when all of this is happening? And by the way, if you go to Israel... You can go to the synagogue in Capernaum, cool site, and you're looking around thinking, this ancient stuff is so cool, and, and uh, this is where it would have all happened around this area. And then if you walk too fast, you miss the sign and you miss the black layer, the first century foundation for the first century synagogue. And you go, oh, there's ancient history and there's ancienter history, as we say in public schools. And you go, this is, this is cool. Not that you have to be like some and, you know, bow down and kiss the ground. There's nothing magical about the ground. But once again, came from heaven to earth. Whenever I go to this synagogue, I always want to read John chapter 6. And at least the one time we had a Jewish guy and he almost fought with me because he didn't want me to read John chapter 6. Think about it. I, Jesus is saying, am the way. I'm the one. If you don't embrace me, eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no life in you. 
Okay, let's, let's wrap this up. Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Probably offended by the blood thing. But I'm more and more convinced they're offended by the sun from heaven thing. Must believe that I am that one thing. Don't have to decide. Both are true. Verse 62. Then, what if you see the Son of Man ascending, that's going up, to where he was before? How about that? Would that help? Would it help if, if I could just zoom up to heaven right now and ascend? And we all, because we are a little slow on the uptake and we forget about people's hearts and what the Bible tells us about people's hearts and how we express our own hearts, we think, oh yeah, that would do it. For sure, that would be it. And by the way, he will ascend, right? Recorded at the end of Luke beginning of Acts, it's an extraordinary thing. He's not only the one who descended, he's the one who will ascend. But isn't it interesting when we read the question in verse 62 and then we read verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. Like we learned in chapter 3, the flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. In light of what he's already said about the Spirit, in light of what he's already said about those coming to him, given by the Father, I think the implied answer is it wouldn't help. Apart from you being born again like I talked about in chapter 3, apart from the Spirit of God quickening you, to use old English, opening your eyes, regenerating you, you could see me right here and right now go back and you still wouldn't believe. The Spirit has to do, do this. This is a spiritual problem And we even learned earlier in our chapter that that the belief comes from God. That gives us some insight as to why we go, these people are crazy. No, they're sinners who are unaided by the Spirit of God to help them get past what they think, which is 2 plus 2 is 17, right before their very eyes. And they keep saying, just do a miracle, just do a miracle. I just did how many? Just do a miracle, then we'll believe. If I ascend, will you believe? No. Spirit has to do this. I said we were finishing, so let's keep going. Verse 64 then goes on to say, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. That's verse 44. The problem is not because Jesus is lacking. He's gone above and beyond making things clear. Proving objectively. The problem is a spiritual problem and he's making sure we understand that. Even to the point where he's letting us know the bad stuff that's going to happen to me, 
I already know about it. Doesn't mean failure because I couldn't do it. No, only those drawn by the Father, only those given by the Father. See, he's, he's, he's stressing the plan, the purpose, sovereignty, knowledge, that I didn't come here to try, 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 try. Oh, it might not work. No, there's a plan and it's unfolding. And this is why certain things happen. It doesn't mean there still isn't mystery and we still don't go, I don't really understand exactly how all that works. But there's a lot we do understand. And the failure parts are not because Jesus failed. We need to make sure we see that. 66 says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Sixty-seven says, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? We might say, There's the door. Anybody else? There's no... Well, let me explain what I mean by this. And it's really not as harsh. As, I, I don't really mean that you have to believe in me for eternal life. I don't really mean that if you don't believe in me, you don't have life. What I meant to say, no, see, the truth is the truth, and it's been explained by the one who's called the truth. And so he says, do do you want to leave too? 68 is so awesome. This is evidence that the Spirit of God is working and that the Father is drawing or giving. 68, awesome. Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Ha <laughs> ha! Awesome, right? So far, at this, I've been going, all right already. And then Jesus doesn't soft sell. He, he does the hard sell. And Peter responds. Peter of all people. Yes! Awesome. And think about it. The things that Peter's going to face, it's not going to be good. It's not, I mean, you don't get the sense that Peter's like, I think everything you've been saying is wonderful. But he says, where else should we go? I mean, he could say, we can go here because we'll have better family reunions. We can go there because they've got much better services at the temple than you're about to give us. Right? The music is better for sure. There's not going to be the persecution. I mean, where else should we go? There's tons of better places where their egos are going to be stroked and they're going to be told, it's okay, God accepts you. God loves you unconditionally no matter what. Where else should we go? They could go tons of places. But he says, you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go because there's no one else who's come from heaven. And so we believe in you. Our destiny is in your hands. Isn't it great? It's awesome. There's nowhere else to go. He's not promising best life now. He's not promising health, wealth, and prosperity. He's not promising any of those things. But he's promising eternal life. Most important thing of all. 
70 says, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Sovereignly in charge. Please walk away with, among other things, with the, the constant refrain in your mind, believe in Jesus, have eternal life. Reject Jesus, no life, no eternal life. And if you need the metaphor to really drive it home, eating, not temporal bread, but eternal bread, drinking blood because he's going to go to the cross. Believe, 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 which is to say trust, 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 trust. It's in Christ and he gives eternal life. What right does he have to tell me this? He came from heaven. That's what right he has. And oh, by the way, there's going to be an empty tomb proving he wasn't a huckster. Isn't it good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hard words of Jesus, as these are often referred to as. We're thankful for the hard words, if they're true. And we know that he's the one who, if anyone has the right to speak with certainty, it is him. May we be certain that he is our Savior, that we might be trusting him through thick and thin, because he's the one who has the words of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.